trying to talk to you in high school Couldn't even get a look cause you were too cool But now we're older and we're playing by the new rules We lived and learned Cause it's time Hello again everybody and welcome back to Card Advantage I am Clues, one of your faithful hosts And oh, oh, no, Rich Nope, nope, Rich is not here For once we are without Rich I think this might be one of Maybe the only episode where Rich couldn't make it but Rich had something come up last minute. He's fine. He's fine. Nothing's wrong. He just had a last-minute conflict and could not join us. But in his place, we have a special guest. We've had him on once before. He's one of my favorite people, and uh, he came and talked to us about all kinds of interesting stuff that was going to happen. But now that it's happened, why don't we have him back? It is none other than Mr. Tim Shields from Cascade Games. Tim, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. That's wonderful. Awesome. Wonderful. So, uh, hey, we just, you know, had a little shindig that happened with just a few <laughs> friends that we invited. Just a little one, yeah. Just this tiny, tiny little thing. We are, of course, speaking of Grand Prix Las Vegas for Modern Masters 2015. Uh, kind of the, the big, big event. I, I think of the year, certainly. Maybe of all time? I don't know. We'll get to that a little later on, but we just had that happen about two weeks ago in Las Vegas. And I gotta say, just straight off the bat, just my impression was it went really well. I don't know how you feel, but. Well, I, you know what, I, here's what I think. I mean, it's, okay. I, boy, this is hard for me. Cause, you know, the mindset that I have to be in as a tournament organizer is what went wrong? How did we, how can we do things better? Right. And it doesn't matter how good the show is. There's always things we could have done better. Oh, true. but, but you know, but I think that it is fair to say that the main event overall went very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think side events, uh, particularly, uh, you know, eight player on demand events started a little rough on Thursday and, or even significantly rough and got better and better as, as the weekend went on. Honestly, we were just overwhelmed by the demand and we had some technology problems on Thursday that we had work, that we were able to work out as the week went on and rotate in a different system. So things got better and better. Um, and, but we were, my point of view, at least we were constantly running to try and keep up with what was just crazy levels of demand. Yeah. So my impression being, you know, in the, in the trenches as a judge, not as a player, but uh, as a judge in a way, once the event got rolling Saturday morning, I was almost disappointed at how mundane it was. Because once it got going, it was just like any other GP. It just ran smoothly. We had a few problems with a couple of players here or there that had issues, but nothing, nothing major. And I gotta say, kudos to how you guys did the layout of the room. So for those, those who didn't hear the lead up one or weren't there or whatever, uh, let's, let's just talk scope of this thing. Okay. This was, Somewhere in the ballpark of 7,600 players for the main event of the GP. So I think the official number was like 75, 58 or something like that. But anyway, 7,600. Let me jump in though. That sure. is, that's the, that's the official number of people who played. Right. But there were, but there were, a, there was a significantly larger number of people who registered. Um, but you know, 
the the folks who pulled a you know they're they're doing deck registration and pull a foil tarmogoyf and uh and, and then decide to drop and there were so we were we were over 8000 players um and 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 then we had drops and and dropped down to 7 right and in addition to those folks who might have started the day quote unquote in the tournament but didn't play round 1 we also had quite a few people who did not play in the main event at all and were just there to do side events or see artists or just take in the sites. So, you know, all told, you know, if you get right down to it, the number of people in that room, probably real close to the 10,000 mark. I, I actually think, so I think that's probably fair for Saturday. And if you say how many unique people over the weekend, my guess is around 12, although, you know, it, it's really hard to know. How many people came just to see artists? Cause you could, you could easily spend your entire weekend just going from artist to artist. Oh yeah. And so uh, 12,000 is my best guess. We'll have, we'll have crunched the numbers soon and had, you know, and, and, and come up with a unique number of people who, who played either in main or sides. Um, but, but I don't have that quite yet, but I, I think it's going to, I'm pretty confident it's going to come in about 12. Yeah. So if you can imagine, dear listeners out there, just go ahead and take the biggest GP you had been to before. Just take the biggest one and just double it. Just make it twice as big. And how in the world do you do that? And the way these guys set up the room, the room was huge, by the way. The way these guys set up the room, you basically had uh, an entire roughly 4,000 player GP on one side of the room, like over to the right. So you walk in the door. So there's a five 4,000 player GP over there. To your left, on the other side of the room, there is another 4,000-player GP. And then in the middle, we've got the artists, we've got the vendors, and we've got space for side events. So the two halves of the event, because the, the event had to be split, right? Once you reached a certain threshold, uh, a decision was made that Watsi would essentially treat it as if two simultaneous GPs with two different prize pools and two different top eights were just going on in the same room, right? And so imagine those two things going on simultaneously, but because of the layout of the room and because of how well things were planned, one event could basically ignore the other one while it was going on. You know, a lot of these events are in venues where the PA systems can be (laughs) questionable. You might not hear it even if you're in the right place. Uh, and we never had the problem of one event talking over the other event. You basically couldn't hear the announcements from the other side of the room because they were so far away. Uh, so I think the layout of the room was very, very well done. And thank you. Well, thank you. Um, we were hoping and we had tested the sound system to make sure that one side wouldn't interfere with the other. But, um, uh, but when we ran our test, there was a little bit of, there was a, you could make it out. But then after you, uh, after we dropped in all of those tables and chairs, uh, which has a little bit of sound muffling, uh, you know, it, 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 that part actually worked quite well. And I, I got on the stage on the left hand side of the room, um, and thanked everybody, thanked the judges, uh, got the, got the folks, uh, started, um, while John Sasso from Channel Fireball was on the other, on the other stage. And our plan had been to sync it up perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was starting, um, and he was actually several minutes behind me starting. 
Um, and I didn't know it because it, neither of us knew it actually because we couldn't hear each other. Um, and, and that I think is ideal. So the, the sound and the announcements just didn't, didn't interfere with each other at all. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, other things that I want to say about this event. So we had something like 30 magic artists there. Yeah, the the final attendance was 31, but yeah. 31. So there are 31 different magic artists there. So the the quote-unquote artists alley was huge. It could take you minutes just to walk around it to figure out who all was there. It was and, more of an artist boulevard or an artist street than oh, an alley. Yeah. yeah, way better. Way better than an alley. That is absolutely true. And some, some great artists, some big names. I know lots of folks were getting cards signed and buying artwork. And so I got to say, that aspect of it was just amazing. I wish I would have had more time to hang out with the artists, but yeah, I was kind of busy helping run an event. You know how it goes. And I got, I actually got to say, um, Arthur, who was our, per, you know, Arthur, who did our, the management of, um, of the artist did a great job. I usually spend a lot of time in the artist area, uh, in part because I want to, in part to thank them. And I didn't actually even have time. There were, you know, I, I'd pop over and shake hands and thank a couple of the artists. Then come back and I was trying to work my way through the, uh, through the artist alley and there were artists I never actually got a chance to talk to because there were, you know, there were just so many and of course we had so many things going on. Yeah. So we also had all of the different side events going on, uh, you know, so you, you had a room layout, you had a schedule, you had all kinds of different stuff going on. You had a plan going into the weekend. And, uh, they always say that, uh, uh, a plan always lasts just long enough to survive contact with, uh, whatever event or enemy it is you're planning for, and then it's out the window. So, how well did your plan of how Vegas would go mesh with how Vegas went? You know, I, I think there's, there's really four different categories I think we need to look at. And I apologize if this is, this is too comp, you know, complex, you know, uh, where, but, uh, but I think when we say, how did it go? Well, the main event, the plan for the main event, I think worked very well. And I, I do have to give a shout out. We, we had Steve Port and Jason Ness, two highly experienced tournament organizers, one on each stage. And we had a team of five head judges and five scorekeepers on each stage. And so the main event plan, I think, I think that part went extraordinarily well. I agree. The, um, the scheduled side events went well. There were a few hiccups. Um, and our main hiccup was we had announced caps, you know, so maximum capacity on, on the scheduled side events, but we didn't have a good way of knowing how many people were in line for a particular event. And there were times when you know, there was a two-headed giant event where we had several hundred more people in line than what we we had our announced capacity, and we had a we had a choice in the moment of do we turn these people away who all want to play in that format, and some of them have been in line for a while, or do we just keep registering and, and stretch the event? And we made the decision that we didn't want to disappoint people who had been in line. And I don't know if that was the right or wrong decision because it, it created some delays. Uh, and, and I know the thing I'm looking to just, just squeeze out of every Grand Prix is how do we remove the delays from the system? So 
maybe it was the right call, maybe it wasn't. May I, I in retrospect, what I would I wish I had done is you know at conventions a lot of the time the the artists will have somebody stand in line with a sign on their back saying this is the last person and then I take a lunch break. We put it, we probably should have had should have had closer counts on the people in line and had either a staff person or a little sign to mark, you know, this is, this will be the last team for the two headed giant. So that way, cause I, the last thing I want to do is have people wait and then not get in a tournament. Yeah. And then I don't want other people to have to wait either. So, so that one was that. So main event, great scheduled sites, pretty good um, in terms of the overall planning um on demand events like i said before started out rough and what what happened was we had a, a fairly i thought elegant plan of running of taking drafts which we usually do in eight player pods and instead you know using uh wizards event reporter and just using doing larger flights of of drafts um but what happened was we were entering the the data at the at the scorekeepers right behind the uh, registration area and moving and then moving that data electronically to where we were for, where we were firing the event and the data was coming across as corrupted and then we were having to re-enter and try and fix it and it turned out that some of the versions there there had been a new version of wizards event reporter that day oh god and and so our versions were out of sync and it was causing a corruption problem and we weren't, we didn't know where it was coming from and the whole system as a result, it broke and we thought the problem was in the data transmission and it turned out it was a version control problem. And you know, I don't know what we, 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 we fixed it by day two and went to a different system that worked better anyway. But, uh, but day, you know, Thursday, like I said, those on demand events were those eight player on demand events. Uh, they were, they were rougher than what I would have preferred. Right. And then the final way I evaluate this event, okay, did it certain, you know, how did it do, you know, as you say, plan in contact with, with the players or the enemy of, is, which we want to be clear, the players are not the enemy. That's not no. what I'm saying here. No, they're, they're clearly not. Right. They're in fact why we're there. Um, I would think of it as all of the other stuff, right? We had, right. so we had, so the artist alley worked well. I, there were very, the vendors had a great time. The reports I had from the players about the vendors were very positive. And of course the weddings went very well as, as well. Right. Yeah. I, I know that there were weddings and I didn't even see them. That's how big the event was. So, um, I don't know if you heard the announcement. I thought it was kind of funny, but there were, there was an announcement over the PA system. Wedding pod two will fire off in. <laughs> You know, in five minutes, please report to a particular table range for wedding pod two. So, um, yeah, so we did two weddings on Thursday and they went extraordinarily well. And, you know, obviously congratulations to those couples. And then we also had an, an engagement, uh, um, uh, and, and wedding on Monday. So, uh, so I like to think of this as three weddings that coming out of this Grand Prix. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So. So, so the special events I think went really well. The VIP section, particularly the free chocolate chip cookies, was uh, was incredibly popular. Uh huh. Yeah, um, and the cookies were pretty tasty too. Okay, great. 
so if if I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to the scheduled sides and I'm gonna give you live feedback on the scheduled side because I was actually involved in that two headed giant event. It was the yes. the only event that I did all weekend because I wasn't on staff on Friday and so the wife and I who were both on staff Saturday and Sunday we decided hey let's go play two headed giant. So uh yeah that ended up being slightly over twice as big as uh it was originally going to be. I know the cap was originally at two hundred and so our our plan that we came up with, because, you know, of course, we're armchair quarterbacking the whole thing the whole day, you know, when there were delays, is uh, what you might have considered doing is, uh, okay, so we've got all these people in line that you want to get into the event, and I completely respect that, and I agree. The, the players are there. They're waiting. They really want to play. It is really tough to tell a player who wants to play Magic, no, you can't play Magic. What you might have wanted to do is just split it into two events, right? Run two so two-headed giants. I – so this, again – you know, communication is, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm, in my mind I'm thinking this again, but I haven't actually said this yet. So the biggest challenge we faced was, was communication. Our staff was phenomenal. We had, we had, our, our, the staffing was just, those guys did an amazing, amazing job. Oh, big shout I, out to our, uh, it was Sean Catanese was the judge manager, right? So absolutely. Big shout out to him. Job. And, you know, and when we're talking about staff, we're talking about 600 people. Yeah. So Sean did a, a really, really just fine job with this event. And that, and it's not a, it's not a small task, right? His, there were more people on staff for this event than I had. If you add players and staff and vendors at my first Grand Prix, we had more staff at this event. So the scale of it was just crazy. It was just, yeah. So I said to uh to one of one of the people, let's split this event. And what they heard me say, what they what that meant to them was let's split the event in the same way we split a main event uh of a Grand Prix. So let's divide it into two halves and um and, and make it easier for, on the scorekeeping. What I was trying to ask for was let's split Please take the, what I should have said is, please take the player registration forms, register, get, get and, and get one batch as as you have enough for 200 teams in and registered and ready to go. Let's get them to fire now and then we'll take the second half and fire them as soon as we can and run them as completely separate events. Let's not wait until that second group, we'll, let's not wait till everybody's registered to split the event into two pieces. Right. And because I didn't ask, because I wasn't clear in how I asked for the event to be split, we ended up, we ended up with more delays where we, where we could have avoided it. Right. Also, in retrospect, one of the things we did very well on some of our events is when people registered, we gave them a ticket that said, go sit at table, you know, in, in the Ileana section, table 22 and so you sit there and then we can pass out your product we can trade you your product for your tickets and you can start building your deck while we're entering the data and if we had done that kind of thing we could have squeezed out we could have squeezed out more of the delays and you know if we if we ever do anything on this scale again i'm sure we'll be able to do it better right okay so you know i 
<clears throat> from from my standpoint, I definitely agree with with basically everything you've just said. You know, uh, main went well uh, on demand. It had some speed bumps at the beginning. I think it smoothed out as the weekend went <laughs> on, uh, and scheduled sides and the rest of the stuff all went all went really really well. So let's talk about a couple of details that were actually. Things. You know what? I want I want to throw out a big picture piece first. Before sure. Do that, and that is when people think about running Grand Prix, they typically think that running the main event is the hardest part and that running sides is the sides and on demand are easy because after all they're just eight player units we collectively the judge program the tournament organizers we've been running the main events for long enough that's not where the events break events break and where we have unacceptable delays on the side on the side not on, not on the main, at least not typically. Right. Uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the the main event we've been doing them for so long, you kind of know how it's going to go. You you scale up yeah. staffing, you scale up with room, and it still goes just fine. But uh, sides can be pretty sticky. And nobody knows what it is to like. How many staff people do you really need to run four thousand people through drafts in a single day? Yep, who knows? We didn't ever do that before that weekend, right? <laughs> I could say now we do, but yes, uh, yeah. We, we certainly have some data on that now. We didn't going in. Uh, and you also don't really ever know what the demand for that sort of thing is going to be, right? I mean, with, with pre-registration, we've got a pretty good idea for the main event. Uh, but for sides, are people going to want to do eight mans? Are people going to want to do, uh, you know, standard events? What are people going to want to do? And, you know, you kind of have to roll with the crowd when it happens. Now, I noticed, speaking of sides or on-demand sides, that uh, sometime fairly early on, the decision was made that uh, the only kind of event that si- on-demand sides was going to be doing were these uh, what started off as eight-man pods and became these like 32-man brackets with eight-man draft pods in it. Uh, and that was the only option. So someone had taken the sign that was on the front of ODE and it said uh, side events include and it had a list of things and everything was blacked out except for the, the, the 32 player flights. So that decision seemed to be made at some point, And I think it was probably a triage decision that yeah. that's all we really have the, the manpower and the room and the product to actually do. And it, you know what, it, and, and the systems to do too. The right. more things you do, just, uh, you know, the more things you do, the, 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 the greater the chance of, of, of failure. And we, we made a decision to focus and do what we're going to do well and reduce the offerings a little bit so that way we could do a better job. And, you know, someone certainly could debate that. Um, but I think that was, I think it was the right decision. I, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, speaking of decisions that were made early on, here's a question that I had for you. Sometime in roughly the week leading up to the event, uh, there were some decisions made as to how many judges to have, right? So we had an initial staffing, and then uh, the judges were informed that some of them were, were essentially waitlisted. If the event hits this threshold of players, we activate this group of judges. And if it hits this threshold, we activate this other group of judges. And so sometime early on, uh, not early on, about a week before the event, someone made the decision, hey, let's just activate all the way up to the 10,000 threshold, whether we hit it or not. Uh, do you think that was the right decision to make? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So, so I, so let's say that was primarily my decision. And, um, yes, it was, it was the correct decision. A couple of reasons why. Um, well, the, the, there was a mistake in that in trying to describe that, uh, as up for 10,000 players. Because of course, there were judges who weren't able to make it. There were cancellations for a variety of reasons. And there were, you know, and there, and, and our initial projections on how many people we'd need Thursday and Friday, and we got closer and saw what demand was looking like. We, we realized we needed more people. And, um, and, and we real, you know, and I was vaguely aware of this, but I really started thinking about if we're two days out and we say to a judge, Hey, we'd really like you to be in Vegas. Well, they're not in Vegas. They're wherever they live, you know, in Florida or, or the East Coast or whatever. And asking somebody to drop everything and come at the last minute, even though they've said they're, they're willing to, not particularly cool. Right. If I could do this over, um, I would have just said, Hey, we're going for 10. Um, we know that we're going to lose judges along the way. We know that we'll have a better event if we, um, if if we have a stronger staff uh let's just go for it and just and just shoot for that number um and and i wish we had done it more than a month out to give people more time to plan their travel yeah uh now i will say that i think it was the right decision to make you know i'd say I, it wasn't it wasn't kind of an accusation sort of question i i sure. agree no no it, but it's but it's a tough call right because oh yeah because you know Events have to serve lots and lots of interest, right? We gotta do a great job for the players. Obviously Wizards of the Coast has, has things they need. Um, the coverage team has things they need. The, the vendors do, the artists do. And, and another really important criteria is there's, there are financial implications for doing this. And adding, you know, in the last couple of weeks, adding a couple hundred staff people, um, is a, that's a significant financial decision and we um you know but john from channel fireball and i have made the decision that we well, we didn't know what final attendance was going to be that we wanted to have a better event that comes from having more staff and you know and 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 risk having you know having potential you know some potential losses um or or at least going way over budget and staff but we we got a better event out of it and if we had had the kinds of struggles we did and with the struggles we did with moving data over, for instance, on Thursday and not have enough staff, uh, th- that could have snowballed dramatically out of control. Right. So let me, let me let you in on a little secret, uh, from a judge's standpoint. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you as a TO, try not to listen too hard to this, but it's mostly for the listeners out there. At a normal event, a normal GP, not not crazy, oh my god, we have 8,000 players, but a normal, you know, 1,500 to 2,500 player GP, somewhere in there. In my opinion, as a judge, the correct number of judges to have is one judge fewer than you think you actually need for those players. And it sounds crazy for me to say that as someone who works the floor, but here's here's my, my normal operating theory on a, a normal, quote-unquote normal event. If you're really understaffed, you can't help the players enough, and the whole event just plows into the ground. But if you're way overstaffed, your judges get bored, 
Right. And one of the things, you know, I'd, I'd really love to just have a show where I bring in a bunch of judges and ramble about what it's like to actually be a judge. You kind of run on adrenaline the whole day. Right. You're 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 psyched up. There's Absolutely. always something to do. Uh, it's when you slow down that you notice, oh, my God, I've been on my feet for seven hours and I haven't sat down and now my feet start to hurt. But as long as you're doing something, you don't notice it. So at a normal event, when we're just slightly understaffed, it's perfect. Sure. We're way overstaffed. It's a problem. Now, at an event like this, I don't know that you could be overstaffed. I mean, there's so much going on and so many things to do. I, I think the, uh, the, the decision to bring them all on board that you, that you had was a, was a very good one. Uh, towards the end of Sunday, we started to get a little overstaffed, but that was nice in that we actually got to, you know, finish up and get out of there at a reasonable hour. Uh, but overall it went great. So some other details I wanted to talk to you about. I have worked, uh, logistics and setup for several events, including, uh, the original GP Vegas, I helped with, uh, with bag stuffing, uh, out mm-hmm. in, uh, I think it was Portland. I also helped with, uh, product prep for, uh, yep. for an event. I hate bags, right? We, we often at these events use like paper bags and you put into the paper bag your token packet and your GP foil and your pen. I hate the pens because they rip the bags and your, uh, life pad and then you put in the packs and then you pass them all out. And that is such a pain because the bags don't stack. The bags are hard to handle. Everything about it, it just drives me insane. But this time around, someone somewhere had this brilliant idea. And you guys use those, I think they're about a 400 card count white long box. And you put the playmat in there and you put the sleeves in there and you put the pen and the life pad and the release form and the packs and you put it all in that box. And it was all self-contained and it was easy to stack and easy to count and easy to move around. Who did that? So the person who actually made it happen and did the sizing part was John Sasso from Channel Fireball. Actually, first, let me agree with you, okay? Years ago, we just, you know, we hadn't figured out the technology. And I know this seems crazy, but we hadn't, you know, we used to have everybody who didn't have a pen raise their hand and, you know, go through. We pat all each individually. As we, as we're giving away more stuff, we have to do bags. Uh, Well, you know, you're right. The bags rip. The bags don't stack. It's really easy to have things fall out of the bag. So, John Sasso from Channel Fireball was the one who figured out the size of the bag and sourced them. I think actually John Carter, uh, uh, you know, level three judge, um, with a fairly illustrious, uh, background. Anyway, John was the one who, who asked for the boxes. Um, we debated whether or not we should put the playmat in the box. Ultimately, it worked out pretty well. The only drawbacks that I can think of, um, were that, uh, were that, you know, some people were super happy to have that card box and used it and kept it. There were a whole bunch of them that, uh, that, you know, that players threw on the floor or didn't appreciate. So, so that's the only, I mean, it just, it, it worked. It took time out of it. It made the event go faster. I, I think, I think it was pretty successful. I think maybe if you do it again, next time have a bin at like one end of the room and tell players, you know, we, we handed this all out. If you don't want your box, just dump it in that bin over there. If anybody in wants another same, box, sure, in, in that the, bin. In the same way we gather, you know, unwanted cards and donate them to schools, um, we should gather those unwanted boxes 
and donate them to the same schools. Now, I, I did I, actually see players who were collecting like just armfuls of them from people who didn't yes. want them and taking them out to their car so they Absolutely. could store their own cards in them. So yes. Yeah, but it was it was a much better method, and I have to say it was absolutely amazing. Uh, so let's turn to VIP for a second. Uh, yep. VIP is an, 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 an important thing that you guys do. Uh, I know this time around you had a, kind of a big VIP lounge with some like stadium seating showing coverage that they could watch, but you also had scattered around the room these things that were called planeswalker lounges. And inside were a table to sit down at and like a water cooler and apparently cookies, which I did not get in on. And I feel terrible about that. But there were cookies. Uh, how was that received by the folks who did the VIP? Did they enjoy it? Did they find that to be a convenient thing? So I didn't have a chance to sit down in the in the lounge and talk with people. Um, but how, and actually, let me let me give you a quick overview of how it was set up. So as you walk in the main entrance of the room, if you walk straight forward past the state side event stage, there was a, a lounge where, you know, where it was, as you said, stadium style seating, place to watch coverage. Um, I think that was popular, but not as popular as it could be. And if we had to do it again, I would still have that stadium, but I would just, I would not have it just for the VIPs. I'd make it for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then on the far right and left hand sides of the room, there were pipe and draped off areas for people to with, as you said, water and um, a place to sit and play and, and have a little bit of quiet and privacy. Um, the free popcorn and, uh, and, and the cookies. So the cookies were, we had, we had a food service co- person come in and serve cookies for, uh, for a couple hours each day. That was incredibly popular. Um, I mean, Everybody likes fresh, cause they were, these are, these were, they had, you know, they had, um, I think it was Mrs. Fields brand, but they, they had the oven set up right inside each of the lounges and were serving, were serving the cookies there. So they came out of the oven and, and a hot cookie is, is just awesome. Oh yeah. And, and then, um, uh, and then, uh, we also had a, a, an one more lounge. I don't know if you noticed the, the the center calls it the diamond room. It's a room on on the second floor above above the uh, well. It, it's one floor up over the over the main hall. And folks folks who were on the platinum planeswalker level could uh, could come up could come up there. They had a great view of the entire show, um, and they had some more amenities that were pretty fun. And my sense is overall people were pretty happy with it. Now that was the super secret lounge upstairs for the, yes. the platinum folks. And I heard rumors, and I don't know if you can confirm or deny this, that at one point, uh, we fired a draft in the platinum lounge. Oh, actually, so on Thursday, the, the, uh, um, the, the folk, the, the folk VIPs up there were saying, Hey, we really want a draft up here. And so, uh, we thought about it. And the person who was in charge of the VIP experience, Trevor Baker, I was like, well, let's just do it. We've, we've got a staff person up here, um, as a host anyway. And I don't, you know, we, 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 we added some extra tables. There was a side room we added and, uh, you know, we probably never had more than say six drafts going on at, at one time, but there were, but there were, there were significant numbers of drafts going on. I, I don't have the exact number, but it was, yeah, it, and, and, and 
some people love being in the flurry and the excitement and in the middle of the show floor and other people really like the quiet, you know, like to play, but they want a little bit of peace and quiet and a refuge. And, um, and, and I, re- I really thought that, that, that was a, it was a neat little service we could offer people. Yeah. So I'm actually going to suggest in the future as part of the platinum level that you always have a separate room for platinum where you you advertise as part of the platinum experience we will fire platinum drafts you know basically on demand when we have eight platinum players in here who want to have a draft we will run a draft and i uh, make it I, part of the I haven't figured out if we're how often we're going to run a platinum level but if we do i i think having having some kind of specialty event like drafts or you know, or whatever is a, I, I think that would be a great thing. Yeah, I also might suggest that you stick a judge in that platinum room as well so that they can run the drafts and, uh, answer platinum players rules questions, you know, as they, as they want to. Cause I like sitting in quiet rooms too. So. <laughs> Absolutely. That is totally not self-serving, I swear. But. Uh, yeah, that could be you as the judge. I'm yeah, just, the, cha- could be. the challenge is that getting from Get we can all, almost always with almost all these convention centers we can add on a room, but frequently those rooms are not in places that are easy to access. Yeah, and this one was above and had a you know it was easy to get to and it had a great view and so using that was a no brainer. Um, with other shows it's a little bit harder, um, and I guess we'll we'll just kind of have to play that one by ear. Right. Uh, another th- another little bit of tech that went on this time that I wanted to give some feedback about. Uh, so we had these badges on lanyards uh, that at least I know the I know all the staff folks had them. Uh, I think the platinum players had them as well. I don't know about anybody else. Uh, but on the back of that little lanyard, so the front side had you know the logo and the picture and it, my name and staff and all yep. that. But on the back was a schedule of the scheduled side events. Yep, that was amazing. Because so often at these events, uh, unfortunately, the most common answer I have to give players to any question is, I don't actually know, because the first slew of questions that I get is, hey, judge, where is XYZ side, or what time does XYZ side start? And we don't know. We're we're in our own little corner doing our one thing, and I don't know the entire schedule. But here, I had on my line, I could just look down and go, oh, it's this event? Yeah, that, that fires at 3 o'clock. So... Uh, that was a really nice bit of tech. The only thing that I think would have been better, but I don't think it could have worked, is to also have the location of each of those events, like where you were going to fire them. But unfortunately, once, you know, you have too many people show up, you move an event to another place, and so right. that's going to very right. quickly get out of sync. Uh, the only other thing I would recommend putting on the back of those lanyards is the actual location possibly even with a map of where lost and found is because the second most common question you always get from players when you're on the floor is hey judge i lost blah where can i find it and yeah. got to no, send it someplace so i think you're right and and you know another thing we we just we have to do it's not clear when we're when we're going to get this done but we 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 need an app for um for for the players at, at events so that includes a map um and and we're just we're not there yet, but but at, at some point that that's got to happen. Right. Yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. So overall, GP Vegas two I think was a smashing success. Uh, you know there were some hiccups, there were some speed bumps, but I think most of those were handled pretty well. The main event itself, 
started very close to on time, kept a reasonable round turnover. I mean, for an event that size, okay, we're not going to just players bear with us. We are not going to take a, an event that has 4,000 people on one side of the room and have rounds that we turn over in less than five to ten minutes. That's just not going to happen. It's just not feasible. There are too many people. But still, I think the schedule and the pace kept up very, very well on the main event, uh, and and that went real smoothly. Uh, side events were rough to start, but they got better as the weekend went on. So I think I think overall, big pat on the back all around to everybody involved. Uh, with with what happened here, it was in fact magic history, and uh, you guys made it happen. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, we tried, and the the key thing for everybody to to really remember is this was this was a team effort, right? This was a substantial portion of the judge of the judge program, and and also it was a substantial portion of the tournament organizers. Oh the, yeah, that's. North that's America. another thing I want to make people uh, aware of behind the scenes here. So, uh, Tim is of course from Cascade Games, and uh, he and the folks from Channel Fireball were technically putting on the event. But if you look around those stages at uh, the judges, at the scorekeepers, at the stage staff, I definitely saw people from three, maybe four different TOs on those different so stages. Just of North American TOs, right? Yeah. So. Uh, the, so Jason Ness, I guess, technically isn't a, a TO currently, but he's run hundreds of events, um, uh, high level judge and, uh, you know, Jason, so he, and he was, a, he was a TO for years in, in Canada, um, on anchoring the other stage was Steve Port from Legion Events and also Legion Supplies, which turned out to be a handy thing as well. Um, and then, uh, Alan Hockman was, was, was there, um, and he was helping us with our retailer issues. Um, John and I were, you know, were there as well. So, you know, there were, um, just of North American TOs, there were, there were five TOs, um, helping to make this event work. And, and many of the support staff who routinely work for, for those TOs were there as well. And without that, um, you know, it just wouldn't have worked. And I got to say, in a way, that is the beauty of the magic community, right? Because we are a community. These are, I'm not really going to call them competing TOs because, I mean, there are plenty of events for, for lots of people to do. But, you know, th- these are people who came together and said, this is an event that we need to make a success. Let's all work together and make it a success. And it just kudos. I mean, we've got Tim on here because he was the easiest guy for me to grab. But there were tons of people behind the scenes who deserve a big round of applause for what they did. You know, I, w- I want to throw out a particular shout out to to Trevor Baker because in addition to coordinating, you know, VIPs and, 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 and pre-show doing the artist coordination, Trevor coordinated the blood drive. Oh, and right. That, and that's something that I, I realized a lot of people don't know about. And, and frankly, I'm hoping that other people are going to start doing this too, because the feed, you know, when we first started, when we did, I think it was Grand Prix Portland, not last time, but the time before, we did a blood drive and we had no idea if players were going to be willing to take the time out of their, their, you know, what's the Grand Prix is a fairly tight schedule and, and are they going to be willing to take time out to donate blood? And we've now done, I think it's 
five, uh, at five Grand Prix, we've done blood drives, and at every single one, the blood drive has, you know, the, the, the Red Cross only has so many, you know, seats and can only accommodate so many people. And the blood drive is, I guess the term is sold out, right? It's, right. we've hit maximum capacity. And we, you know, we had more people pre-registered for the blood drive than, uh, than what the Red Cross could accommodate. We asked them to bring in more, you know, more, more of their buses where they, where they collect the blood and they brought in everything they could and, we easily could, as a community of gamers, we came together, donated blood, which really does directly result in saved lives. And, uh, and, and if the Red Cross would have been able to ha- handle more capacity, we would have been able to do it. And that I think is pretty fabulous. Absolutely. Big thank you to everyone who made that happen, who participated in it. It, it was an amazing thing. And, Just. and, and hopefully. If you're listening to this, one of the things you can do is is chat with your local tournament organizer um, and ask them if they're going to do it too. Because it's actually remarkably easy to set up. You just make a phone call to your local American Red Cross. Um, the tournament organizer talks to the convention center, or, or you know they they need a place to set up a table in the hall to check folks in, and they need a spot in front to park the bus. They park the bus, the nurses with the Red Cross handle everything, and, you know, and we gave folks a little, you know, free, we gave them a coupon for a free draft to, to give them a little thank you for doing it, and, you know, and, and at every one of these shows, we could have done more if, if there was more capacity. Right. So, that's, that's Vegas, and Vegas is now in the books as just an amazing weekend. Uh, but we have some events coming up that lead us to another topic that I think we should discuss tonight. So we've got, uh, GP, uh, God, which one is it? You guys are doing an overseas one. So we're, so Channel Fireball is the tournament organizer and Cascade Games is, is assisting with Copenhagen and that's just coming up. Um, I, I'm leaving on Monday. So, so yeah, a, a week from, from when we're talking. Right. And then, Right, you know, fairly soon after that, um, we'll, we'll do a couple conventions and then we have, um, uh, Grand Prix, uh, San Diego coming up. Right. And then later this fall, uh, you've got, uh, Seattle. Yeah. Seattle, you know, you can call it Seattle Tacoma. It's, it's the Seattle area and it's at the Tacoma Convention Center. So, um, yeah. So, and, and, and that's coming, that, that's coming up fairly soon. Um, well, uh, San Diego's fairly soon to me. It's in August, um, August 7th through 9th, and then Seattle Tacoma's in November the 5th through the 8th. Yeah. So, uh, one of the things that's coming up with some of those that, uh, some members of the player community are being fairly vocal about, uh, there are some changes coming to the typical price of the main event for these GPs. And I went and I did some digging uh, to, to look at what prices for main events of GPs have been like historically. And I didn't get to dig through everything that I wanted to, but I dug back a little bit into the archives. So it looks like from at least the mid-2000s on for a while, your typical constructed GP price was about 30 to $35 uh, for, for mm-hmm. a main event. And, you know, that was, that was back in the day. Now, for anyone listening, you need to think back to what GPs in that era were like. Okay. We're talking 
sub a thousand player GPs, maybe we'll crack over a thousand, depends on where and what the format is, but we're, we're talking numbers kind of in, in that area. We're not talking about 8,000 player monstrosities with, you know, 30 artists and, you know, dozens of vendors and all that kind of stuff. We're just, just a standard GP, right? Sometime around 2011, and I think it was Atlanta, the prices went up to about $40 being pretty typical. But as near as I can tell, they stayed at $40 for a constructed GP from 2011 straight through until about the middle of this year, give or take. So that's like four years of the price not budging. And meanwhile, you've got your GPs getting bigger. You've got the things going on at the GPs getting bigger. You've got the kinds of things that are included with your GP, like play mats and deck boxes and sleeves and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff gets piled in, but the prices weren't increasing. So the prices are finally increasing. And so I've got you here to speak for all TOs everywhere. We're going to hold your feet to the fire because I'm Uh sure you're perfect for this one. The player community wants to know... What are you guys doing with the billions of dollars you're now raking in by jacking up the price by 10 or 20 bucks? So, so let me first say, I don't like raising prices. I don't think anybody does. I, I, you know, I really can't talk for the other TOs, but, but what I can say is that we're in a situation where costs are rising. And the, the primary costs for us are things like venue and staff. Okay. Right. And as our, as the size of the staff grows, as the complexity of these events grow, um, it, it's just, it is just costing more money to, to run them. And, and as, as I know this seems, you know, in many areas of life, there's economies of scale, right? You have a bigger space. Um, and it costs you less money to rent. In many places in the United States, certainly outside of the United States, your cost per player, which is how I think about this, right, is how much does it cost for me to, to have a table and a chair for a player in a, in a particular hall? As the hall gets bigger, my cost in many cases goes up, not down. Right. And so as GPs are growing, we're, we have a, we have a dilemma, right? And that is, we can either artificially, you know, put a, a maximum capacity on the the Grand Prix and keep it smaller, or we're going, or we're, our costs are going to go up, and you know, proportionally, of course, more of the judges have to come from outside of the area. We need to at least help with that transportation expense wherever we can, and it's getting more and more expensive to run Grand Prix. And what what we've been trying to do. As a, um, what, what we've, what Cascade Games in particular is trying to do, but uh, my sense is everybody is trying to do it as well, is we're trying to say, okay, prices are, are going up, but we're going to try and give you a value that is a better value for you. And, and I know that it, it's hard for folks to, um, it, that, you know, you look at that price increase, people don't like it, right? I don't like price increases either. But what I would, what I'd like people to do is think about what do they believe a fair price is? And so in the case of San Diego, it's a more expensive Grand Prix, but it's a great venue. We're bringing in staff from all over the country. 
We've got a really awesome play mat, so you've got a super cool collectible. The art's fabulous. It's a double-sided play mat, so first time that's been done. You're also getting sleeves. You're, you're also, we're also flying the artist who did the, who did that art from Europe to the United States. I mean, we're, we're, we're gonna have an awesome artist alley. We're, I guess what I'm trying to say, and I hope I don't sound defensive about this, but we're trying to give people a good value, and I hope, and I, and it's my hope that the players understand this. So what I think the players need to do, and I think the community at large needs to do, is they have to stop thinking of a GP as a magic tournament. Now I know that sounds crazy, because a GP is a magic tournament, but back in the day, that's all there really was, right? You, you had the main event, there might be some on-demand sides, there was nothing major, usually not a lot of scheduled side events going on, but it was, you were there for the main event, and you paid your money, and you played, and you either won or lost, and you were done. But now, now what these GP weekends have turned into is more akin to a convention than a tournament. You have multiple scheduled side events, you've got uh, items, physical items like playmats and deck bosses that you're, that you're given as part of your entry. You've got artists there. You've got other venues there or vendors there. And it's come to be expected that when you go to a GP, oh, there's going to be a lineup of artists. Oh, there's going to be a bunch of vendors with booths that I can, you know, sell things to or buy things from or all that kind of jazz. There's going to be all this extra stuff that's been tacked on. It is more like a convention than it is like a tournament. And so one of the things that, uh, could be done, and I don't, I don't think anyone would want this, is you could charge people just to walk in the room, right? So leave the main event cost the same thing, but charge uh, a fee to get in the room, right? But I don't think anybody really wants that, right? and, And there is a major challenge with that kind of scenario as well. For, and this is probably not some, I hope this isn't too much inside baseball, but after all, you know, that, that's kind of what your, your podcast does. So it, it does, yes. So if you charge, if you rent a convention center and you charge each person for admission, okay, then two things kick into play. In many areas, there's a special tax. You know, you probably, you don't, you probably don't even know about it, but when you go see a movie at a movie theater, when you go to a ticketed event, you um, you're actually you know you're actually paying a tax. Sometimes it's like fifteen to twenty percent of that entry fee is is going in uh, to your your state or local coffers, and and so there's a big piece of it that gets taken away by that. And we have to have security guards at every door, and the convention center would require us to use our ticket takers and their ticket sellers. And what ends up happening is the cost goes up. And that's a big part of why when you go to, you know, whatever convention, comic convention or game convention you go to, and you find that a ticket for San Diego Comic Con costs a couple hundred dollars. Well, some of that money is going, going to the convention and everything else, but a surprisingly large chunk of that is, is going to the facility and going to the tax structure. And if we were going to use a model, where it's ticketed, we would, we would, the total amount of money that the players would be paying would, would have to go up. And, and I am certain that's not a model we want to use. Yeah, we definitely don't want to go down that road. So if, nobody if we write in do, and tell us that. If we want to do a magic convention, I, so right now, GPs have one foot in the world of magic convention and one foot in tournament. 
And if we want to jump all the way into Magic Convention, which maybe we do, but I think we will then want to do a dedicated convention, you know, and try and draw 30, 40,000 people and, and try and figure out other ways to make it work. Well, I don't think we want to charge everybody to get into a room for a GP. Right. I, I am 100% on board with that. I agree. Uh, so yes, the price is increasing. Now the other thing that I want players to understand that is if you think about this, probably the smallest cost you have all weekend is your entry into the main event. Because you've got a hotel, which even if you're splitting it with a couple other folks, you're probably still paying more than a hundred bucks for your hotel for the weekend. Uh, you've got your transportation, which is either a car ride or a bus ride or a plane ticket, and there, oh god, that's gonna be way more expensive than, uh, than your entry fee. So, you know, when the TOs make the decision that they have to raise prices, they're not doing it so that they can build gold-plated bathtubs and roll around in piles of money. That That is not, at least I don't think so. Do you, in fact, have a gold-plated bathtub with a bunch of that, money in it? That sounds fantastic. I would love one. Not currently. Um, you know, and, and we're, what, we're just, what we're trying to do, I think, you know, I think you're right. For players coming from outside of an area, they're, the, the tournament entry is really not the biggest cost by any means. And if we're charging $10 more, that's a, you know, that may seem shocking out of the blue, but it, um, but if you think of it as a, as, as a percentage of your total cost to come to the GP, it's probably not that significant. For players who are in a local area, you know, I, I totally get why this is a, why this is a different thing, and I understand why why it's why it's hard. Um, I I hope we're giving you value you appreciate though. That that's my that's my takeaways. I think we're providing really good value, and if we're not, I would love to. Ha- I'd love for people to contact me and tell me what we can do better. And if people have taken away nothing from the first half of the show, they ought to take away what a logistical challenge it is to put together one of these events. I mean, sure, we dialed everything up to 11 for GP Vegas, but a lot of these things you still have to do when you've got a 2,000, a 3,000 player GP. You've got venue, you've got staffing, you've got, uh, you know, your tables, your chairs, your PA, uh, making sure your vendors get in there, making sure your artists get in there. Uh, even things like setting up the playmat, right? Okay, so I'm sure, I don't need to explain to Tim, but for folks at home, I, I know a lot of you are thinking, okay, so I get a playmat that was thrown in with my entry fee, but the price has gone up more than they're probably paying for that playmat. Well, let's think about this here. They've got to lay out the playmat. They've got to get the rights for the artwork, which probably involves talking to Watsy to make that happen. Sometimes Watsy takes care of some of these things. Sometimes they don't. You've got to pay for the playmats, ship the playmats, uh, actually get the playmats into the hands of the players, that, that's that's a pretty big outlay of funds just to make that playmat happen. So don't don't take what you think, this is for the listeners, don't take what you think is the price of uh to, to have a playmat printed just because you know you go online and there's a place that will print you a playmat for twenty bucks. Well surely they've got economies of scale and they're paying less than that. But there are lots of other costs there that I think people don't take into account. Yeah and and I don't want to I don't want to try and fool somebody, right? I mean of course I'm I'm not paying full retail for the playmats. I'm ordering them in, in a good deal of, of volume. But, but if you take, I mean, I don't want to reduce this down as in terms of just 
you know, because the playmat really is a unique memento. It's it's something that most people keep and they show off. But if you sit down and you think, what's the value to me of all of these things? I hope that it, you know, what's for that matter? What's the value of playing in a tournament? What's the value of all of the collectibles? What's the value of the experience? And you compare it to other kinds of experiences in your lives, you know. What does it cost to go see a movie? What does it cost to go to a sports game? You know, I think the value is pretty good. I really do. But, you know, ultimately this is going to be the player's decision. And if it turns out that the players disagree with me and they don't value this, what's going to happen is, you know, we're, Grand Prix attendance will start to drop. And honestly, as attendance starts to drop, um, you know, our cost structure, at least in some ways, will begin to correct too. So, um, one way or another, this will will find a, an equilibrium point for this. Right. I, I think another thing that players need to really keep in mind when they're thinking about these kind of uh, financial things, you know, it's it's easy enough to just go, oh, they jacked up the price because they want more money. Uh, okay, yes, but everybody wants more money. First of all, I'm not going to sit here and say that Tim does all of this. Uh, for free and that he lives under a bridge, you know, down off the interstate. No, 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 Tim. This is Tim's job, right? He, he does, he organizes tournaments and runs tournaments, uh, for a living. He'd like to eat tonight is what I'm going to say. Uh, but your TOs who are setting up these events, they're also attempting to, uh, you know, I don't really want to say mitigate, but amortize some risks, right? Regardless of how many people actually show up and pay, they had to rent a venue, they had to pay staff, they had to get product for things, they uh, had to pay lots of other hidden costs and fees for transportation of things uh, to get them there. And so at the end of the day, uh, you know, some events are going to make more money than other events, but over time, that's hopefully going to balance out into a way that everybody who's involved uh, can, you know, make a living. I, I hope so. And the other piece of this is, this, as you say, it's not a one person's effort. This is a team effort. So we have myself and three other people working full time on events here. And, you know, and, and so, and, and, and that's what's required to make the events come together at a high quality level. And I believe, I, I think it's clear that over the last couple of years, the quality of events is getting better. Um, you know, are, are there things we should work on? Sure. But if you look at our websites, if you look at, um, at our venues, if you look at the perks and mementos people are getting, things are, Grand Prix are getting better and better. Um, and unfortunately it's not free. And so I, I believe the way to go is to give people a better experience and knowing that it's going to be a little bit more expensive but i think the quality is worth it and and it's again it's my hope that everybody agrees with us well i certainly agree with you 100 percent. i think excellent that, uh GPs, well, yeah we're two done. of us agree so yeah yes. there we go <laughs> see see listeners we solved it everything's fine everything's fine uh so you know i think that the the quality of gps has gotten better uh, over the past few years, the kinds of things going on at the GPs has gotten much more interesting over the past few years. Uh, I think the value is still there at the prices we're seeing that that are coming. Uh, and uh, again, the prices stayed the same 
for like four years without changing at all while getting bigger and better. Uh, eventually that doesn't work anymore and we've reached the point where that doesn't work anymore. So uh, this is where we find ourselves, at least I think. So is there anything else that you want to talk about here tonight? Uh, any, any other takeaways you want listeners to have? Anything else you want to plug about the upcoming events or the past events or, hey, what's on your mind? Anything at all? So um, what's on my mind? I'm re- really excited about trying to do new models for, for, um, for league play and trying to figure out new ways to make conventions really, really fun experiences. So we're going to try and do a couple new league systems and we're going to test those at, um, we did a, a test already at Emerald City Comic Con and we'll do a couple tests at, um, at Anime Expo in San Diego Comic Con and I, I don't want to skew the test by talking to you too much about it, but, um, but the goal is that when we first, when I first started playing magic at conventions, people would play in, you know, in the game area, but they'd also play all over the place. And we're trying to find clever ways to organize that and also leverage social media and have really fun, really large league events at conventions. And, and I'll be happy to report into you if you're curious how those work out after, after we do a couple more practice runs. Oh, absolutely. Let me know. Uh, I, I know I have my, my first experience, and I don't know if I've bored you with this story. I know I bored the listeners. My first experience with magic was at a convention. It was at PAX East in 2009. Uh, where TJ Collectibles was running the, uh, the magic events there. And my wife for years had tried to get me to play magic and I never wanted to. Okay. Cause magic was something that, uh, uh, one of her previous boyfriends had, had got her into playing. And of course, so I associated that with someone from her past and I wanted no part of it. So I did not want to play. So for years she kept saying, Hey, I should teach how to play. I'll dig out my old decks. I'm like, nah, I don't really want to. Then we were at PAX and I was in line for some talk or panel or something. And inside of the swag bag was the little 30 card starter deck, which yep. are, they're like crack, quite frankly. <laughs> and That's so we're what they're designed there, to be, yeah. And I said to her, hey, you used to play, teach me. And so she taught me how to play magic and I was hooked almost instantly. And I went to the, uh, the magic area and the folks from TJ's taught me some of the more intricacies of how to play. And, uh, they had like kind of a little intro league thing that you could do. And after you played a certain number of games, they would randomly pull a card out of their big random box and give it to you. And so I kept getting cards because I was playing all weekend. And from then on, I just have not looked back. Uh, so. Uh, magic at conventions, I think, is a great thing. Um, I've had good experiences with magic at conventions. I've had bad experiences where uh, events were slow and late and didn't go well and just ate up all my time at the convention. And I've had other times where everything just ran like clockwork and you could go and you could play for an hour or two and then go back to the convention. It was kind of a nice way to get away. So uh, I I love the convention experience for magic, is what well, I'm trying to say. We should probably chat more about that someday, but... uh but, uh, I, I think that there's a lot of, I think we've spent a lot of time and energy, um, in, in just in the TO community thinking about ways to make, uh, Grand Prix awesome. And I think we could probably profit by spending a little bit of time, um, thinking about more ways to make, uh, to make conventions as fun as they could be. So. 
so yeah, let's let's wrap this up here so uh, so you can get on to do the things that you need to do. So if folks do want to give you some feedback about uh, Vegas, any of the upcoming events, any of the events, questions done, at Cas- yeah, questions at Cascade Games. Uh, I I prefer that to Facebook mostly because I'm just old. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, that that probably that's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, and, uh, you know, although you certainly can reach out to me through Facebook, but I'm, I'm a little slow to reply to, uh, to Facebook messages where, you know, email, I tend to be pretty good at getting back to people quickly. He is. Wow. As long as I have a good answer for him. You right. know, sometimes if I, if I'm not replying, it's because I'm either still thinking about the answer or trying to come up with, with, the, with, with the data that people need. Right. Uh, so yes, we will have a link to that email address in the show notes, which no one ever reads the show notes, but we'll totally put it there anyway. Uh, if you want to get back to us, if uh, you like what we're doing, don't like what we're doing, if there's something you want us to uh, get really inside baseball about, if there's some other topic that you want to suggest to us, that's fine too. We love to hear from our listeners. Uh, we sometimes respond to emails, sometimes don't. We, we're trying to be better about that. We really are. We're turning over a new leaf as far as as that goes. Uh, but you can reach us a number of ways. We have a website. We are carded, cardadvantagecast.com on the Internet. You can email us at mtgcardadvantage at gmail.com. That is probably uh, the number one way to get us long-form questions. If you have short questions, you can hit us up on the Twitter. We are at cardadvantage on Twitter. If you want to hit me up specifically your best bet there is twitter that's probably my fastest way to respond i am at lock spelled just like it is in the show notes and although rich couldn't be here tonight uh he is at mind mage the a in mage is a four uh once again that's totally going to be in the show notes uh thank you once again tim for joining us and sharing all of your experience and expertise we really appreciate it it was absolutely my pleasure and you know obviously i'd love to do it again I'm sure that we will find the opportunity. I'm absolutely positive of that. Uh, so thank you all very much out there for listening. Be sure to support your local game shop, whatever it may be. I suggest in the Durham, North Carolina area that it should be Atomic Empire because it's a great shop and you should check it out. But wherever you may be, do support your local game store because that is how this game lives, thrives, and survives. Thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you all next time. You used to hate